John chapter 7, verse 10. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Uh, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to, into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed and he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Father, we come to your, your word, your inspired word, and by your spirit, we ask that you shape us, you direct us, you, you, you guide us, and help us to, to see pieces of this scripture that apply to our lives Help us to understand spirit, we ask. We're dependent upon you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, th this is quite a situation that Jesus has entered into. Last week we saw that the, the brothers were urging him to go to Jerusalem, knowing that, that he would capture some followers if he went to Jerusalem. But he wasn't going to Jerusalem on his time. He was going on the Father's time. So he comes into Jerusalem, and it's an interesting thing when we think about Jerusalem 
here in this situation and, and through much of the Gospels, uh, the picture that we have there. The context is the appearance in Jerusalem. The appearance being the, the festival or the, the feast that is taking place. There is a lot of religious uh, activity going on. There's a lot of festivity going on. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of religious righteousness going on. There's just a lot, as with all of the feasts in Jerusalem, there's all of this hustle and bustle and all of this activity that's going on, all, all of this religious fervor, the people coming, they're excited, they're coming to the temple complex. There's that appearance that's taking place in Jerusalem. But then there's also the underbelly of Jerusalem. What's really going on? Jesus shows up on the, on the scene and rubs people the, the wrong way. A lot of people the wrong way. So much so they're seeking to kill him. The, the, the underbelly of Jerusalem we, we can see with this, this spiritual blindness that's taking place. I mean, here they are. What Jesus is saying in the passage that we just read is that they, they want to convict him. The charge is breaking the Sabbath, which is a very serious charge, breaking the Sabbath law. That, that's the charge. And, but Jesus has come in and he's saying, look, you have the, the law of Moses, you have the Sabbath. But when that eighth day comes and a circumcision needs to take place, you go ahead and do it. it that's okay. But when I do something to make this man, they're referring to chapter 5, the, the man Jesus healed. When I do something and I heal the man and I make him whole, you want to convict me of breaking the Sabbath and you yourselves are doing the same thing. Now, it's not wrong for you to do the circumcision on the eighth day and it's not wrong for me to heal a whole man on the circumcision. You've missed the point. They're spiritually blind to what is happening here. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 15, he calls these leaders blind guides. And they just such have such a hardness of heart. They have such arrogance. They're spiritually blind. Verse 19 says, You seek to kill me. That's how hard their hearts are. They want to kill Jesus. Amongst all of the religious festivity, all of the religious action, really, they're so arrogant about what they know is true, they want to kill him. And part of that underbelly that's working is the, the fear, of, fear of man, wanting so much to be approved of by others. It's, it would be fine to be approved of by God, but really we want to be approved of by others. 
In fact, that, that, that is what is spoken of in, in verse 12, 13. There's this, this dialogue between the people. Some say he's a good man, others leading us astray, astray. But for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. That brought great fear. They weren't, they weren't fearful. We see here about speaking about their politics of the day. They certainly had a politics of the day. It, they weren't, it wasn't fearful for them to be speaking about the economy and the oppression of the Romans. That was kind of accepted. Various opinions, counter opinions. But what they were really fearful of, really fearful of, speaking openly about Jesus. The, the people want to be approved of by those in authority. Thought well of by those in authority. It's so much so that they chime in. <laughs> they, they, they chime in and in verse 20, the crowd answered, you have a demon. That is exactly what the religious leaders would have liked from the crowd. They're, 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 the crowd is fearful to say anything about Jesus. And they'll even chime in and say, he's got a demon. Because that surely won't bring any conflict with the religious folk. So there's this underbelly, there's a spiritual blindness, there's really ungodliness that's going on. There's the arrogance and the, the hardness of heart, and there's this thirst to be approved of by man. That doesn't happen in the United States today, does it? That's the underbelly. Of Jerusalem but the appearance <laughs> it's very righteous it's very very righteous and really the thing that really is kind of for me mind-blowing they have the scriptures they have the Word of God God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are studying the Word of God and they're articulating to the, the Word of God to the people that come to the temple and the devout people that go to the synagogue. They're hearing from the Word of God. They have it. And there's this underbelly that's going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus shows up on the scene. Well, you can see now some hostility that they have. They want to kill Him. He, he, he is not not acceptable to these people. He is not acceptable. There's a, there's a hostility that's, that's being kindled because Jesus shows up on the scene and He says to the people who have the Word of God, the people who have studied the Word of God, the people who ought to know about the Word of God, he shows up on the scene and says, you might have misunderstood something. 
by his actions and by his words, you, you might have misunderstood. See, Jesus wants the best for the people. He wants the best for the religious leaders. But whenever Jesus shows up on the scene here, as he does in, in Jerusalem, there's, there's friction that takes place. If these people start following Jesus, if Jesus is coming against them, if Jesus is saying, you might have misunderstood, you're not capturing it. Look, you're doing this, your understanding of Moses, why do you commend me? Their power, their authority, we've seen this before, their power and their authority is threatened. And they don't want any of that. And what Jesus it does, when he comes in on this, this scene, he comes in and he teaches openly in the, in the temple. Such hypocrisy. Openly. Not hiding anything. But they're here in the background. They're talking. They're talking. We got to do something about him. We got to do something about him. So they're, they're talking. Their power is their, their preconceived notions. They're invested. They're invested in their preconceived notions. Their power is, is threatened. And more than that, <laughs> more than that, their very weak spiritual condition is exposed. He walks into Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. The people with the word of God, the people that ought to know, the religionists, the devout, the devout, they're coming into the festival, the festival, and Jesus shows up and he teaches openly and he teaches with conviction and he teaches with the power of God and their weak spiritual condition is exposed. Oh no, they don't want any of that. Nobody wants that in the 21st century either. Nobody wanted that in the 18th century or the 12th century. They didn't want any of that. I want you to have a flavor. I want you to have a sense of how much and why they hated Jesus. Why would they want to kill him? Why would they want to do away with him? He's exposing them as not understanding properly, not seeing things the way God sees things, and that exposes spiritual weakness and the powers that be will not have any of that. So there's this hostility that gets practiced. Hostility kindled and hostility practiced. <laughs> we see it in, in, in verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, that would just strike a lot of people. It's somewhat shocking. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You may have heard some people say, well, the Bible says we're not to judge. 
It doesn't say that. You're reading it right here. Don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. Here's a little study. A study tip. Jesus also talks about this issue of judgment somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, and I won't tell you where it is, except that it's somewhere in Matthew 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and in your study you can go there and see what Jesus says about judgment and judging with right judgment. This, this judgment of theirs with, with right judgment, don't judge by appearances. With right, they weren't, they weren't judging with right judgment. Judgment. What are the true merits of the situation? Jesus restored the man. <laughs> That's the merits of the situation. He, didn't, he wasn't dishonoring God. He was helping a man and healed him. They want to con convict him because of breaking the Sabbath, because of their, of their law. They're just too hasty in their, their judgment. They're, they're judging Jesus apart from the merits of the situation and the overall message of Scripture. Jesus was teaching them with His life. He was teaching them in the way He practiced. Hello? He was teaching them in the way He practiced in word too, but in demonstration. The merits of the situation, he's teaching openly in the temple. He's helping this person. He's not dishonoring God. He's not dishonoring the religion properly understood. The merits and the overall message of Scripture. The overall message of Scripture. You see later in verse 52, we won't get there right now, but the, the word on the street is, no prophet comes out of Galilee. <laughs> but what about Bethlehem? Hmm. Overarching. So what do they do? They do what any good attorney would do today in the 21st centuries. 21st century. Attack his credentials. If the credentials can get knocked away, then there, there's no need for testimony. Because the, the, the credentials unqualified to testify. Well, that practice has been going on for centuries. They come and they, they say, how is it, they marveled, it says, how is it this, is this man of learning, this man of, of uh, how does this man has learning? He has never studied. He's never been licensed. He's never been certified. He never got a degree. Not that those things are wrong because the rabbis were doing that. Nicodemus is one of the leading, leading teachers in and of themselves. But here they, here they come. They have truth staring them in the face, teaching them by his presence and by his word. What are your credentials? 
You can hear the credentialing committee in the background, right? Yeah, that, what are your credentials? And so they went and attack him there. And what about, what about his character? Well, the people on the street, we already talked about that, you have a demon. And I already tipped you off to later in the chapter. He's from Galilee. Well, nothing from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. So they're going to go where it counts. His credentials. He does not meet our expectations. To try to discredit him. Try to discredit him in some way in his character. And, and not only that, his background. He doesn't have the background like our approved teachers have. Of course, Jesus is saying, you know, my background is from the Father. <laughs> it, that really lights them up because he's saying he's come from above. He's been taught by the Father. Oh, that does not go over. So they're making these judgments that, that, are, that are wrong, clearly motivated by self-interest, and they're not looking at the totality of the situation according to Scripture. This guy shows up on the scene. You are different. You are a threat. We're going to put an end to you. So, the religionists of Jerusalem, the Jews, the leaders, but we also have to remember that the people are there too. I mean, if the people weren't, all the crowds weren't there, there wouldn't be much of a festival if the crowds weren't there. But there's the, the, the religious leaders that are in, in charge of it. These religionists have the word of God. They have Moses. But they've got something wrong. And here's the underbelly. They have the law of Moses. They have the Ten Commandments. And they're quite willing to break the Sixth Commandment. They're quite willing to murder. They're quite willing to kill. They're quite willing to break the law that they cherish so much to eliminate this conviction that Jesus is bringing. They have all of that information. They don't understand Jesus. They have a lot of vested interest in their life, whatever that might be. They're, some of them in league with Rome. They have a lot invested there. They're just going to eliminate the conviction. They're, really, the problem is for them is this issue of fear. They're, they're fearful they're going to lose something. It's always the case with fear. Fear going to lose something. Some of you listening, some of you in this room are very fearful that you're going to lose something. If the next election doesn't go your way, you're going to lose something. Loss. And what I want you to see is that the Lord is our salvation. 
You slip off of that, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of anguish, all kinds of depression, all kinds of angst will come into your life. These people are fearful that they're going to lose something. So in their case, the easiest way to deal with that, Jesus is coming, he's bringing some heart conviction, and, and the easiest way to deal with it is to eliminate it. Just get, get rid of that whole situ situation. See, what really aggravated them to, to understand more of Jesus that he has no allegiance to a man. He has no allegiance to a group. He has no allegiance to the way it was done in Jerusalem. He has one allegiance, and you know what that is. His heavenly Father. His allegiance is God is yours. The honor and the glory and the majesty, the holiness of God. If it is, you will be a threat like none other. You will upset people's world like Jesus upset people's world because he has no allegiance whatsoever to their pressures that they put on him. He doesn't hate the people. He's not against them. He wants to help them. <laughs> but he's not going to take on their allegiances. And when we look at the, the history of the church, when we go all the way back to the first century, the Apostle Paul, we could say the same about him, couldn't we? When we look at the, the Apostle John, we could say the same about him. How do you think he ended up on Patmos and wrote Revelation? Go down to your favorite John Knox, Martin Luther, John Powell, George Whitfield, John Wesley. No allegiance whatsoever to anyone other than God. And I'll do whatever it takes of me to get you there. If you could just get your allegiance off of Trump and get it on God, you might really upset things in the world. If you could get your allegiance off of Biden and get it on Jesus, you might upset some things in the world. But you're too fearful of what you might lose and what's at stake, and so you're going to invest yourself into the things that will not last. So Jesus, that's not what we see with Jesus. He's rooted, he's grounded in God. So, some things we can take away that are really helpful, I think, for our own personal lives. We have the background, <laughs> we have the perspective, we have the, the picture that this spiritual understanding or spiritual certainty is dependent upon something and it's dependent upon 
our willingness, your genuine willingness to accept, agree with, obey, live out the understanding, the light that God so graciously gives you. That God so graciously gives us. We're all growing in our understanding. We're all growing in our under, uh, discernment. We're all uh, growing in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're all at different places in the world. We're, people are growing. Those who have genuinely come to Christ, they're, they're growing under the power of the Spirit, leading us that way. But if we want to be certain about something, I mean concrete certain, rock-solid certain, so certain about some things that you, you, you have no fear of man. No fear of any group of people. So rock solid, confident, no fear. Well, we have to have this. <laughs> A willingness when God reveals something to you. Maybe you haven't seen it before. I hope we're all there. We're all learning. We're God reveals something. Are you willing to obey Honestly, you, we all have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, if God reveals a truth to you, will you accept it? Will you obey it? Will you live it out, or we could say apply? Will you apply that to your life? You, you, does that describe you? I have to ask myself that. If God actually reveals something new, some new understanding, I didn't see it that way in the past. Well, will we live that up, apply it? I don't, I don't need an answer. I'm not asking for that. But I, I am asking the question. Are, do you have the willingness to apply it? See, if we're not, why would God give us any understanding? We are responsible for accepting, receiving, Obeying, believing, applying the knowledge that God gives us. And no matter what the size of it is, whatever God, whatever nugget that God gives you so, so graciously, are, are we willing to actually live that out and obey that? Here's one. I don't know if God's revealed this to you or not. God is sovereign and supreme over all of the affairs of human beings. Amen. Are you willing to live that out? Manifestly obvious in your life who has the authority 
Not any group. Not any person. Not any preacher. Not any individual out there somewhere. God. You see, if, we, if, if He's revealed that to us and we're not willing to live it out, you can see why no further understanding would come. It'd be very difficult. So, these religionists, the Apostle John says to the Jews, and by now we understand what he means. He's not condemning them ethnically by saying that, because he himself is a Jew. But these religionists, they have no intention. <laughs> if God comes in a way, Jesus Christ, if He comes in a way that's counter to their preconceived notions that He didn't understand before, and there's, there's new information here that they really can't dispute, they can't dispute what Jesus, His life is demonstrating and what He's teaching. They have no intention at all in living that out. They're going to kill Him. Well, we can see that, can't we, in, in verse 17? I'd invite you to look closely at that verse. If anyone's will... If, if anyone's will is to do God's will, that's the phrase that should be underlined in red and put a highlighter in there and circled. That's one of those you go through John and almost every chapter has wow, these big profound truths in it. But this one is another one. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now we have to understand this verse is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. But we can draw some very helpful principle from that. He's telling these leaders, if your will, that word's interesting because uh, in the original it means determination. It means to seize with the mind, to intend to do something. If you're wanting to seize with your mind and, and, and you're and fully intentioned to do God's will, if that is your will, determination, intention, to do God's will. And the do there is very important. The, the doing means to, to execute. To, to bring it forth. So if anyone's will, important word, is to do, bring it forth. That's what I've tried to been emphasizing here in the last time. Bring it forth. You will know whether the teaching is from God. And so in their case, they'll know whether or not Jesus is actually from God. But they don't have any intentions whatsoever. They have all of that that we've looked at prior in this message. That underbelly that's working. All of those vested interests. He will know whether the, the teaching comes from God. So I hope that hits you like it has hit me. I have to ask myself. I want you, each individual, to ask yourself. God has revealed something to you. Do, will you intend? Is that your determination? Will you seize with your mind 
to do the will of God? And if the answer is no, that's a great prayer point, and ask the Spirit to help there. Either on the one hand, ask for conversion, seek conversion, ask God to change your heart, or to have the Spirit grow us in that direction. But we can understand from this verse that it's going to be really, really, really difficult to discern, understand the truth of God. It's going to be incredibly difficult because there's no will, no desire to accept it or to live it out. We have to want to live it out. We have to want to live for God. Well, you have this spiritual truth detector, I call it. It's a spiritual truth detector. Coming out of verse 18. Really the focus of our message today is in verse 17 and in verse 18 we have the context that's around it. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. That is a profound, profound truth. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him, Jesus. He's talking, this is applying to Jesus directly. But we can take application here. In him, there is no falsehood. So he's, he's, he's rubbing up against these religionists and it doesn't set very well with them. And he's telling them, if you really desire to do the will of God, you would know, you would, you would see this. And it, the one who speaks on his own authority, he's not speaking on his own authority, he's speaking on the authority of his heavenly Father. Those who seek his own authority, well... But the one who seeks the glory of Him, who? God. God that sent Him. In Him there is no falsehood. So we can say, in our application, who or what is predominantly, overtly, unmistakably being magnified. There's your truth detector. Does the predominant message, the unmistakable marker, magnify self? Does it magnify significance of the group? Does it magnify significance of an individual? The predominant overwhelming message what, what does it magnify? Does it overtly magnify Jesus? That will be a helpful verse in the days, maybe years to come. Jesus comes on the scene. They, they should know something about Jesus. If nothing else, they can look at his life, they can look at his teaching, and they can say, well, one thing about Jesus, he's committed to God. <laughs> well, one thing about Jesus, he's committed to Yahweh. They could find no sin in Jesus. One thing about Jesus, he's always pointing people to his heavenly Father. 
He's always pointing people to the greatness and the wonder of God, but they, they can't put that together, or if they do, they want to eliminate it. Jesus, His, his character, he, he magnifies God, and so they should be able to, to discern what we're learning here is from Jesus. They should be able to look at Him, and He is representing God. He is speaking, he is speaking truth of God. He's magnifying Jesus Christ. Antichrists cannot do that. They will not do that. Enormously helpful. Enormously helpful. What do we see today? What's being magnified today? What a wonderful group. What a, what a wonderful influence they have in the community. What wonderful accomplishments. What wonderful activity. What a, what a wonderful individual. My, isn't he so compelling. With all of the funny jokes that he can tell, he's so captivating. My, isn't he wonderful. My, isn't that wonderful. Their great impact on society. My. Don't they have a wonderful school attached to their whole being, who they are? The, the community, he's one, they're a wonderful influence on the community because of all that they've been doing and in the community and in the world and in their hearts and amongst each other. My, aren't we wonderful? We have it. Of course, the Lord's really led us in this. We've led us in, in this type of thing. We, under the leading of the Lord, we've got these great, wonderful things. When you come away from an individual or a group of people, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Take your pick. Take your group. Any of them, as far as I'm concerned. Well, what do you think, God, and think about that? How wonderful they are. I thought I was the one supposed to be magnified here, God saying. You remember that? I, I thought it was the cross of Jesus Christ that was supposed to be magnified in a Christian organization, in a Christian heart, in a Christian group of people. I thought that's what it was. But boy, you, of course, the religious language is thrown in there, you know, to sanctify it, of course. But uh, <laughs> maybe you come away with the idea that well, the one doing the speaking, wonderful me. Or maybe the one doing the, the singing. Or the ones doing the singing. Wonderful them. I thought it was supposed to be wonderful Jesus. In fact, I know it's supposed to be wonderful Jesus. Amen. You need to get a hold of that. When a minister or a church or a group of churches, or a community, when their identifying marker is themselves and what they've accomplished, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And that's why these religionists, they, don't, they want to kill Jesus. He's rubbing up against them. And they're not too sure about that. 
and not too sure about that. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've been in a place, my, when, when, when I go to that church, he just makes me feel so wonderful about myself. You see anything wrong with that? In the context of what we're talking about here, this preacher is thinking that maybe when you leave, that maybe the, 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 the church, maybe the preacher ought to help you to, to see the wonders of the magnificent God of heaven that you claim to worship. But he makes me feel so good about myself. You think I exaggerate. Several years ago, we had a very nice couple come to this place. Many of you were not here at that time. Attended the Bible study. <laughs> I really liked them. And he told me they, wouldn't, they couldn't come any longer. And we talked about that. I commend him for his honesty and directness. Forthright. He had somebody ask him, they said, well, when you leave there, do you feel better about yourself? He was honest. He said, no, not really. Not really. Not with Pastor Mark. Well, I understand that clearly had a testimony to my face I don't hate the guy for it he just told me the straight up truth here's the thing you don't need to feel better about yourself that is sin that's waging war in your heart you think very highly of yourself now that's the problem. Me too. What we need, what people need, in the pastor's opinion, is to come away from our Bible study, from our presence together, from this place, from any message that I deliver, thinking Jesus is great. God is great. There is no other God but Jesus. And He's almighty and He's all-powerful. And because of your sin, you cannot reach God. And that creates a huge dilemma for you. And God is so benevolent and He is so wonderful that in the grace of some people that He chooses, He comes into their life and He changes their life. They're forever different. They're a better husband. They're a better wife. They're a better family. They're a better group of people meeting. They're a better group of Christians because God is moving in their life because Jesus is great, not because of something that we have done. Amen. I'm trying to communicate to you I'm trying to communicate to you that this is eternally significant. You expect to spend eternity with God in second place in your life. 
with Jesus in second place in your life. Reveling in all of the wonders that you, good things by the way, I don't want to take that away. Community works, community service, Christian schools, all good things. But if we're not careful, those things leak in there and we're, that's where our satisfaction and that's where our wonder is and that's what we glory in. That's what we're prideful of. My friends, you can have spiritual certainty. Grasping a hold of these truths, grasping a hold of the life of Jesus and being determined, I'm going to live for Him. Me and my household, we're going to live for Him. Praise God for you. That that is, is what you want. Give me, give me more knowledge. Give me more understanding, God. I'll use it. I promise I'll use it. I'll promise when I need to, I'll stand for you. You can have certainty about some things. Why? Because of anything in you, anything in me, anything in this building, because of the Holy Spirit of God working in people's lives to change us to be more like Jesus. Let's pray.